I've been on websites where I've seen so many recommended for you products and it's just a load of rubbish. I think if they clicked yes, we closed the pop-up and that was it. And if they clicked no, we asked them for more information. So we'd ask them for the question that they want the answer to. Welcome to another episode of Click to Buy. I'm here today with my guest, Will. Will, we're so happy to have you. Could you give a little intro of yourself and what it is that you do? Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, yes, yeah, so I am Will Lawrenson. I'm the, the founder of Customers Who Click. We're a CRO agency based in uh, London. Uh, we work with e-commerce brands. Um, so uh, yeah, we're, we're actually performance-based um, CRO company as well. So we only, um, we, we get paid on the results that we generate from our clients, um, which, which works really well for both of us. Um, kind of got into CRO very, very quickly. Uh, got into CRO because when I was in-house, um, a couple of startups I worked at, we got handed quite, you know, quite decent budgets and just told, go acquire customers, go grow the business. And the expectation was that they could go and continue to build their product and their website separately. Mm-hmm. And that marketing would be over the other side, driving traffic, turning that traffic into customers, no matter what that product really looked like. And of course, it doesn't really work like that. Um, no. So I started to do more research, um, gather more feedback from customers, get on calls with them, um, run some A-B tests on landing pages to try and, you know, really work out what, um, what appealed to them. And then I, you know, I started to work more and more closely with those product and development teams themselves to actually influence what we were building. Um, it's been and then, yeah, really when, an interesting story, how you kind of like jumped in, like from learning and being interested in what other teams were doing and trying to connect the dots. Yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, I never really liked the advertising side. I never mm-hmm. found it that interesting. I've always, I was always focused on, you know, once we've got someone's attention with the advert, what do we do there? How do we get the, you know, how do we get them converted? How do we get them activated as well? How do we make sure they keep coming back? Because, you know, it's, it's actually relatively easy to get a conversion if that's all you want. I can mm-hmm. throw massive discounts around other other great incentives and all that and we'll get loads of people through the door but they're not going to stick around they're not going to be valuable um so it's kind of working out you know, what do people care about enough so we can focus on that get them to convert and actually have them stick around um i left my last job november 19 so just before mm-hmm. covid uh, and just yeah i thought it'd be a great idea no i i knew that i wanted to be to, to consult or, or have an agency or something I, I wanted to work with multiple businesses on cro Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I took that opportunity and, and jumped into it. Oh, that's, thank you for sharing your story. Um, I think it's also really interesting to hear how someone kind of gets into the career of kind of conversion optimization. Um, what sort of resources or how did you kind of train yourself to prepare for this role? Was it really like on the job personal development or are there other people or websites or resources you can follow for maybe other people who might be interested or inspired after hearing your story? Yeah, so um, it was a little bit of on-the-job practice, mm-hmm. right? just just kind of figuring things out and, and seeing what it went. But obviously, lots and lots of research, right? Which is which mm-hmm. is great because that that's what CRO involves. So you know, it's good that it all kind of started with research. Um, off the top of my head, I'll see how many I can name. Uh, that's all right. <laughs> C- CXL was obviously really really important. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they are the conversion rate optimization at my academy uh, you know, mm-hmm. you know that's where people go to get certified um 
so read a lot of their stuff, a lot of their blogs. Um, Unbounce was another one, um, particularly for landing pages. You know, they used to do um, like on, uh, you know live teardowns. Uh, I don't know if they still do actually, but they used to do teardowns. Um, they had a really good blog. So it was, and quite there were a few other SaaS businesses that had really good blogs um, that just always talked about you know customer experience. How do you make things better for your customers? How do you acquire them better? Mm -hmm. And for years, I was just absorbing everything I could. I had, uh, you know, a separate newsletter folder just for these types of newsletters. And I would just go through it every day on my way to work, read a few of the articles on my way in, make notes on anything that's particularly interesting and that I thought we could try. Um, nowadays, it's, it's, it's probably some of the, still some of the same um, sources, but there's also a lot of people that I'm connected with in the industry. So I, I jump on calls with them a lot. We, we, we exchange ideas or we, we just discuss them on LinkedIn. Nice. Well, thanks for kind of sharing your tips and tricks. Uh, I always love like sharing other resources because I think like as I've spoken with other guests on the podcast as well, it's so interesting hearing how people kind of learn their own kind of style and what they focus on in ter terms of conversion optimization, uh, which is why I'd love to start off with a segment of this podcast we call Conversion This or That. Uh, where I ask for your advice or tips on kind of imagining two different scenarios. If you could only pick one, which would you pick? Uh, of course, this depends on the situation or the product. So we have to be a bit general here, which I know you conversion optimization experts don't like to be too general, uh, but, but bear with me. So let's imagine that you can only pick one for a website for, let's say, like a D2C website. Would you only pick personalized product recommendations or best sellers on the homepage? Um, for the vast majority, and it's not going to be a straight answer because it doesn't work. That's all right. It's okay. Um, for the vast majority of brands, it's going to be best sellers, and you can position best sellers in various different ways. Um, one that we did with a client was. Um, she, they had a bestsellers section at the top of the, of the PLP and we mm -hmm. turned it into um, the founder's favourites. So we actually put a, a picture of the founder there, a little bit of text on why she liked um, uh, wearing each different category of jewellery. And then we had the four, what were the four bestsellers. Um, so that worked really well. So we were still, it was still bestsellers, but we didn't just stick a little tag on them and say bestsellers. We kind of yeah, bestsellers with a, a twist. Yeah, so that worked really well. Um, I, yeah, I think for the majority of brands, you're not going to have the data to do personalized recommendations. True. Yeah, I think it really depends, obviously. But for most people so far, they've also said bestsellers. So good to see that we have a little bit of consistency well, here. I think, and it's probably the, the exact that exact example, right? People don't have enough yeah. data. I've been on True. websites where I've seen so many recommended for you products and it's just a load of rubbish. And I'm like, why, mm -hmm. you know, how, how are any of these being recommended to me? Um, whereas bestsellers, it doesn't make me think about, would I actually like it in that way? You know, why is it recommended to me? Um, Cause you read the, if you see something and you're like, well, that's yeah that's so different to what i normally buy 
you, it's, 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 you're leaning more towards a no. Whereas if you see something that loads of other people are buying and it's really important, really popular, you're leaning towards the yes. True. I think like that's true. And you can use that personalization like later on when somebody buys something like other customers also bought XYZ or things like that, which maybe is a bit yeah. more related to what someone's actually doing. Uh, so I think that's a great answer for our first this or that. So another one for you. So this has kind of been a hot button topic on this podcast, which is pop-ups. If you could only pick okay. one, would you pick exit intent pop-ups or scroll-based or action-based pop-ups? Oh, that's a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> We've had some very a variety of opinions, so I'm, I'm curious. I think exit intent mm -hmm. because partly because the number of websites I look at where so few people scroll the product page, mm -hmm. right? Which is where, which is the one that really matters. So if people are just looking at the fold and they're, and they're not scrolling and they want to make a decision within 10 seconds, whether they want to scroll or, or leave or whatever, um, or go search for another product. I, I'd probably use exit intent mm -hmm. or possibly on, so on mobile, obviously you don't really have exit intent. True. Um, but if, if someone, maybe if someone scrolls straight back to the top of the page quickly, um, you could then display it. It also depends what you want to do with the pop-up though. Yeah, that's that, true. That's another thing. Um, uh, you know, if, because, you know, if someone scrolls back to the top of the page, you still don't know mm -hmm. whether they're about to exit or whether they're about to uh, add to cart. Yeah, because maybe they saw what they needed at that point or whatnot. I, I, I would tend to agree with you personally. I was just looking at HelloFresh yesterday and I was just about to exit. And then this beautiful pop up came up that was like, oh, like pick a box or some sort of like mystery thing. And it was just engaging enough that it kept me on for like, you know, a few more seconds. So I think. Like you said, if it's the well-timed thing and if you can try to guess what someone's doing, I think that can potentially lead to a better result. But obviously it does depend on what so, the person is actually doing. Yeah, I think you can you can do the same sort of thing with both as well. So mm -hmm. one thing that I quite like is um, not trying to capture an email address with these. Yeah. Actually doing yeah. a, you know, have you found what you're looking for? Mm. Or you probably phrase it as something like, are you struggling to find something for you? Whatever, you know, you can brand it up depending, you know, change, change the, the copy depending on what the, what the, the mm -hmm. product is and the offering is. Um, but people obviously came to the website for a reason. Mm -hmm. That reason might have been to buy it. It might have been to gather information. So you could use a pop-up to try and get a feel for what people actually were here for, what mm -hmm. was missing. Um, if they found what, what they're looking for, they might just, they might click the yes button, in which yeah. case you could, you can either just close it and let them carry on, or you could maybe, maybe offer something there. Um, but for the people who say no, you gather feedback, right? So, you know, mm -hmm. I've, I've done, actually run this test on a, on a CBD website oh, where we had, we did have a, it was a, an action based trigger. So it was a, like a link, uh, you had to click a link. It was just a little text link. I can't remember what it said for this one. Um, it was a, like a, a little bit of curiosity involved mm -hmm. in it. I think it might have been, are you new to CBD? I think that might have been it. 
just a little text link. So you clicked that, it opened up a pop-up where we talked a little bit about the brand, you know, why their products were quality, um, and some of the key things about CBD. And then at the bottom, we also said, have you, did you get all the information you're looking for? Yes or no. Um, I think if they clicked yes, we closed the pop-up and that was it. And if they clicked no, we asked them for more information. So we'd ask them for the question that they want the answer to. Uh, and I think the email address as well. So that's um, pretty clever. Hopefully you're then answer. eliminating the doubts that that person has or the last hangups that are keeping them from converting or actually exploring your product in greater detail. Yeah, and then you know we we could improve that pop up with the information we were being told that, that people were looking for as well. Um, but also, this is one of those things that can have an impact mm -hmm. on conversion rate just by being there. So mm -hmm. someone can click it, read it, you know, get some of the information. Maybe they don't get an answer to a certain question, but because mm -hmm. they feel like you know the company is actually listening, it's there for them. If it's not that important a question, they might leave it and just be happy to buy. Gotcha. So sometimes the presence alone of having more information is already a bit more reassuring or can provide that. Presenting, I think if you're presenting yourself mm -hmm. as the expert, uh, like mm -hmm. a genuine expert and, and a quality product, then certain questions um, can, be, can be left aside. Obviously, if someone had, you know, uh, can I take CBD while I'm on medicine? Yeah. Um, they will want to know the answer to that question. But it's the same as um, in any food-based products. If someone's got an allergy, they need to know yes or no whether that allergen is in there. And if they can't get an answer to that, they have to assume the answer is yes, and so they can't buy it. Gotcha. Well, kind of on this topic of like, what should you post so that people feel like they have the right information or maybe so that they form a positive impression of you? Or last this or that, uh, if you had to pick one, would you prefer to use or highlight more user-generated content or social media? Um, oh, sorry. Would you prefer to include more user-generated content on a product page or like an embedded social media feed? So I've seen like some examples of this where some brands like just post things kind of that look like they could have users in them or like user submitted photos or just like link externally to like a external site. Oh, uh, no, I'd pull it all in, use it on the website, mm -hmm. um, get it on the image gallery. You get it in your product reviews. Obviously you can use little snippets dotted around, you know, if, if you've got a, I'm trying to think of an example really quickly. If you've got a, um, and how, how does this product help with X? Mm -hmm. If you've got a video from a customer explaining that, that comes across so much better than the little image you were probably using and a few bullet points saying, our, pillow, mm -hmm. or our, our product is designed to do this. It's designed uh, with this in mind as well. But if you've got a customer who's just literally on a video saying, I bought this product, it's helped with X, Y, Z, all the key points, mm -hmm. it's going to sell so much better. So, you know, a, an interesting test to run would be to try and replace as much content as possible on a page with user-generated content, if you can get it. Absolutely. I think I'm right there with you. I think like we discussed in a previous episode uh, how like Fenty, for example, uses like pictures that are submitted from users and like multiple different size groups. So I think that's like really effective for if you are considering buying like this underwear, no matter what your size is, you can see like what a real person looks like wearing that. And I yeah. think that increases like the trust factor or picturing yourself like other people bought this 
that's what it looks like kind of like that internal mindset i guess of the consumer yeah exactly i mean there's certain products people don't really mm -hmm. care about the images true we had a look <laughs> at uh i worked with a, a food brand uh earlier this year they did like um basically like ready meals um but mm -hmm. uh, cooked by chefs so it was kind of like the idea was it was like homemade ready meals oh um that kind of the best way I could describe it is it was like it was like having your own leftovers right which sounds really terrible so it's not a great way of putting it but what mm -hmm. I mean is like it genuinely felt like real home-cooked food that had been portioned up and you know put in a box and sent to you rather than something that was like a made in an industrial you know, commercial kitchen yeah um but with them you can't get user photos for that sort of stuff. Um, too much of the time, the food looks terrible um, mm. because pe people don't know how to plate up properly. Uh, you need yeah. good light you really need good lighting. <laughs> um, you know, there's there's so much you have to take into account, and so yeah, it was a real struggle getting any good user photos um, for that. But in stuff like fashion, if people just want to see a fit, right? You know. Mm -hmm maybe you can get away with just anyone not taking it on their iphone in their room right in front of a mirror you probably get some good enough photos there true yeah, I think that's a good uh, point it does depend on the product and how much the audience is able to produce photos that still spotlight your product in an attractive angle because obviously yeah. the quality of your images on your site also leads to that kind of brand impression and feel and whatnot well, well and, and yeah another example Another way mm -hmm. of, you know, you've got to think about it is I, I worked with a lighting brand um, mm -hmm. and one of their most popular products was primarily used as an outside light. Mm. And so it was just like a, a, a bar light. So most people used it vert vertically on a wall. And a lot of the feedback we got from people was they wanted the, they wanted their, their lights to be special, right? They wanted, mm. um, they wanted their, you know, their house to stand out on the street because they had these unique lights that no one else had. They didn't want the standard stuff from Home Depot or anything like that. But some of the pictures that were sent in, some of them were just not taken very well. But other times, you just couldn't really get a feel for how good the light was. Mm. And then that kind of creates that feeling of, well, all right, the light, it's, the light fitting itself looks okay. But does it light anything up? Yeah, does right, it so work some, as we hope? <laughs> some, some outside photos taken, you know, towards the evening didn't really show the house lit up too well. I was like, well, do you want to show that? Because if people look at that and go, well, it's a nice light, but it doesn't produce any light, then, then that's, that's going to be a concern for people. So I think there's quite a lot you have to take into account when picking these pictures um, and, and the, the, any video content you use. It's not just a case of, of sticking everything up there. Absolutely. Well, thank you for playing this or that. Uh, I have a couple other questions here for you that I'd love to pick your brain about. Um, so I know that you're kind of a big fan of different frameworks. In particular, I believe the UAM method. Could you maybe explain for those of us who maybe don't know what that means a little bit more uh, in greater detail? What is the UAM method and how can it help you increase conversion? Yeah, so um, our, our UAM method is, um, it basically stands for usability, anxiety, and motivation. So these are the three 
kind of areas we're targeting on the website, right? Mm -hmm. We've got to make it easy for people to find a product. We've got to answer all their questions and we've got to excite them about it. That's essentially it. Um, each one kind of breaks into uh, two. So on the usability side, you've got the technical side, right? Does the website work? Um, sounds really simple, but you know, the number of times we test a, test a website on um, a, an Android device, for example, you know, a different screen size, and there is a, you know, the, maybe the loyalty pop-up is on the left, the customer service pop-up is on the right, and your call to action is in the middle covered by both of them. So no one can click your call to action. And if it's a sticky call mm -hmm. to action, right, you can't just scroll down the page a little bit and click it at the top. It's always covered. So there's a few things around um, literally does the website work properly? Um, is there anything getting in the way technically? Um, that also covers things like site speed. You know, can, can we just speed up the website? So the second part of usability is the bit I, I just mentioned, which is um, mm -hmm. can we get help people find and buy the right products? Right. So. Do you have a good search function? Is your navigation really easy to use? Um, can people filter properly on your PLPs? When they get to a product page, is um, you know, is it, uh, can they easily see the images and, uh, and zoom in on them? Can they select their options? Can they add to cart? You know, all the way through, you know, uh, is there any friction in this process or, um, or, or is it pretty easy for them? Um, the anxiety piece is, uh, is this the right product for them? And is it the right business to buy that product from? Mm -hmm. So product side is obviously answering all the questions and concerns about a product. So um, I've used food as an example. Um, so it could be, you know, I want to know what ingredients are in there. Uh, I need to know what allergens are in there. Um, I want to know like what size it is. You know, is it a one person portion, two people? Um, how do I, you know, going back to my client, like how do I reheat it? Can I use a microwave? Is it an oven? Does it have, can it be frozen? Does it have to be chilled? You know, all these sorts of things I need to know the answers to. Um, but then there's also, you know, once, once those questions have been answered and I think, cool, yeah, I like this product, I want to buy it, it becomes the business, right? Especially if it's, especially if it's food, right? I've never heard mm -hmm. of this business. Do I trust this business? Am I, am I happy to buy from it? Um, so that's where things like uh, uh, reviews come into play. So have you got, a very like prominent reviews for the business itself, not just the product. Um, but it all co also covers things like um, customer service. You know, can I see an easy way to contact the business? You know, is there a phone number, live chat? Um, is there an easy returns policy? Um, but there's also some offsite stuff. Um, so something that's popped up uh, a lot in customer feedback is social media accounts. Mm -hmm. So is your business social media account active? Um, do you have a story? Have you posted recently? Do people comment and engage with your posts? Um, are you verified? All these sort of things people look at to see whether, you know, they think there's a, a legit business here. Um, and, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be big. Um, you, you've basically just got to be active, you know, active, engaged. Um, it's another thing people just check off their, their list. Uh, and then we've got the motivation piece. So this is, you know, Am I excited about this product? Uh, if it's food, do I think it's going to taste nice? That's the most important thing. And two things are going to tell me that. Firstly, the pictures. Right? I want to look at it and go, yeah, it looks like something I would like. And maybe I can see certain ingredients, whatever. That looks good. Um, and also like the ingredients list. 
again, probably going to look at that, see if a few things, um, uh, and, and the product description as well. That can play, play a big factor in things. If it's written really well and makes the, makes the, the dish sound really appealing, I'm more likely to buy it. Um, I remember looking at two examples on, on this uh, my client's website. One was written really well, um, and it talked about the fact that uh, she had a little pun on there as well. I can't remember. But she, <laughs> I think she was from Thailand, um, and it was written, written really well. It had a little story to it. You know, she, I think she grew up, grew up with this dish, learned how to make it, and was really excited to share it with people. And so you've got that story in there, plus you've got a description of the product. Right, the, mm-hmm. you know, a kind of overview of the recipe and then there was another one which was like a tomato soup or something and it pretty much just said I didn't even say tomato soup because I remember saying to my client you could take this description and apply it to pretty much anything mm. not even just the recipes on the website this description could have been put onto so many different DTC websites on a product page and it would still have applied there um so that you know that's doing nothing nothing for you it's mm-hmm. not only does it is it not appealing it doesn't make you want to buy the product but it also kind of it could in, in this case i think it was a tomato soup it might make you think oh it's just a tomato soup then there's nothing special so why would i buy this right it's not mm-hmm. not just that they haven't motivated you and, and lifted mm-hmm. you up it's that you've kind of actually had a negative impact from that description yeah, so it's um, kind of that lack of specificity. It's not, it's too general, can also kind of hurt that motivating factor that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and the other motivating factor, um, which is the one that gets abused a little bit, um, unless you mm-hmm. do it right, is you know, <laughs> scarcity, urgency, you know, these sort of tactics. If it's genuine, do it. Great. Um, if it's not, please don't. Um, I have seen websites that have random counters. Um, or it'll be, it'll be, uh, it'll take a certain number. I think it looks at, you can you can tell in the code, like it, it's mm-hmm. looking at how many have been purchased and then it adds on a certain random number as well to mm. make sure, which means you might as well just put a random number in. There's literally no point actually yeah. um, tying the data in. But these things do work well. Um, you know, if your stock is genuinely limited, put mm-hmm. that on there. Um, but specificity works well. So if you've got two left, say two left, don't just say low stock. Um, weirdly, True. I actually had an, an, I had an in stock message work really well for one client, but that's because of the type of business. Um, shipping timers work really well. So, you know, buy it by mm-hmm. five o'clock, get it tonight or tomorrow. Um, but then you've still always got to think about how does this actually affect your audience? Um, when you're doing these sorts of things. So a client a little while ago, they had a timer in their checkout for, you know, we're going to hold your basket for 15 minutes uh, while you can while you complete your checkout. It, it was a little bit more, I'd say, blunt in its wording. And people just didn't appreciate it. You know, we, we tested removed, removing it and it earned them about, 90, I think, $90,000 a month at that wow. time. Um, because people felt like they were being rushed and it was a product that they'd taken months to make a decision on. And then at the last minute, it felt like we, you know, the company was trying to push them through um, the checkout. So you've always got to test these things, but this is kind of, yeah, it's the motivating stuff. It's you know more 
and so it's more the uh, order it now to get it tomorrow mm -hmm. rather than order it now where you might miss out which I think uh, is losing effectiveness because so many people abuse that sort of messaging yeah I think I hear like FOMO all the time and indeed I think the way to break through now is to experiment with those other motivating factors as well because everything's scarce like you can't book a hotel room now on like any site without a message that's like only one or two rooms left and that clearly can't be the case in every single hotel in well, a major metropolitan city i think there was there was quite a big legal case here a few years ago which the brands mm -hmm. lost um because it turned out that when they were saying you know five other people are looking at this room mm -hmm. it was actually across any date range mm. not not your dates so as so long like as if, if some, technically someone technically true, it, yeah, someone's still looking at this room, but it's it's clearly misleading. Mm -hmm. um, and just the, the final point on the UAM thing is, mm -hmm. uh, it all kind of stacks together, right? You know, usability you can get away with a basic website, really. You know, as long as people can find a product at its cart and buy it, you should be okay there. But you have to answer all their questions and concerns, so in order mm -hmm. to move them forwards. But if you only do that, then it's like you've ticked all the boxes and they go, cool, it does the job. Do I really need it? Do I really want it? Mm -hmm. So you've got to get that motivating factor in place so that when people have ticked all the boxes, they're also going, yes, I have to have this right now. I want to buy this product. Similarly, if you only focus on the motivating factors, they mm -hmm. can think it's the most incredible world in the, uh, product in the world. But if they've got questions that are unanswered, they can't buy it. Indeed. Well, let's think, um, I know you already mentioned a lot of great examples, but maybe you can mention how does uh, user research help you to explore these different areas, uh, maybe in your own experience or just uh, general advice? Yeah, so we always, uh, we're always doing customer research um, for our mm -hmm. clients. So it could, it takes a few different forms. So sometimes we'll use on-site pop-ups, you know, mm -hmm. things like, um, what's the number one reason you didn't purchase today? or what's one piece of information that's missing from this page. Uh, we might do email surveys, uh, which for the people who haven't purchased yet would be similar questions, you know, why, why haven't you purchased? But for mm -hmm. the people who have, you know, what did you purchase? Why, what were you trying to achieve? Has the project helped you achieve this? What do you like, what do you dislike? All that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, we'll also do that on competitors as well. So we will say, you know, have you, have you bought similar products from uh, other brands, if yes, again, what do you like? What do you dislike about them? Um, and we also do customer interviews. So this is where we get to dig a little deeper into all these all these points and find out, you know, what what really motivates people. Mm. Um, you know, what's what's the information we can get out of them that would be really really difficult to in a in a normal survey. And it's one of the reasons I don't like doing quantitative surveys too much. Um, particularly mm -hmm. if we don't know the brand. If I, you know, if I said, what's the number one reason you didn't purchase today and wanted to do a quantitative survey, I've got to give you maybe five options, but it means I've got to make up five options and I might not actually know the one that is the problem. True. So by giving people the ability to just answer it, um, you, you, we pick up on a lot of stuff that, um, you wouldn't you just wouldn't get through a quantitative survey 
Maybe that's a nice this or that for another guest on the show, customer interviews or customer surveys. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the, the interviews work really well. Um, and just yeah. we, cause, because you also get to ask why, mm-hmm. you know, there's, um, something in engineering, uh, the, the five whys, um, which I got taught about by some friends and, and we, we kind of apply it here. It doesn't have to be five. Um, you know, it's just that the point is if you ask someone a question, they are, they give you the answer. You should like, like, what's the reason for that? Why? So, you know, why don't you like this product? Oh, it doesn't, it didn't do X. Okay. Why is that important? Okay. Why, mm-hmm. why? And so if you keep, you kind of keep asking why, um, obviously you don't just ask why you, you ask a question that is designed to dig mm-hmm. in. Um, but it just really helps you get to what people really care about. Um, which with a lot of products is, is difficult to, you have, you still, even though people have bought the products, you still have to get them mm-hmm. to think about why they really wanted it and why they were buying it. That's um, a good point. Yeah. Well, thanks for kind of exploring that a little bit deeper. I think, again, that was the usability anxieties and motiva- motivating factors method, correct? All right. So we'll definitely uh, link to maybe some resources on that in the show notes in case uh, maybe you have some you can send me as well from Will, since I know this is something you talk about a lot on your own uh, newsletter and show. Uh, Maybe to move on a little bit, do you have any brands that you follow that are really inspiring in terms of uh, their conversion tactics or factors? This could be in your work or just brands you follow or purchase from yourself. Um, so there's two that I want to mention. Um, uh-huh. One is a brand called AO.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they're over in the States, uh, but they're big here. Yeah, they're, mm-hmm. they're a, a very, very big you know, like electrical uh, products um, um, retailer. They do a lot of experimentation, right? So they, you, can, you can tell, well, I can tell. Most people probably <laughs> wouldn't be able to, but, you know, I... There's certain things I pick up on and I'm thinking that was different last time I was here. Mm-hmm. Um, so one that I know they were testing quite a bit on was their price. Uh, like I think it's a price match, a uh, price match guarantee. And one time I looked at it and they had this comparison table that loaded. Oh, what was it? Yeah. So it triggered if you copied the name of the product, right? So mm. if, if you right clicked, mm-hmm. Oh, maybe if you just highlighted, I can't remember what exactly triggered it. But basically, if you mm-hmm. selected the product name, a prompt came up saying, um, uh, I don't know exactly. I've probably got it on LinkedIn somewhere. Um, <laughs> but something like, you know, are you are you price shopping or something? Or, you know, mm. uh, be- before you go, um, we, we can show you the comparison, whatever it was. But it basically opened up a table with about five different retailers in the UK, all ones that you would know. And it had a few bits of information. So it had their price and I think it had a, um, updated as of this date. So it wasn't necessarily today, but it'd be quite recently. And -hmm. then it would have things like, uh, do they offer free returns? Do they offer free shipping, Mm -hmm. uh, installation on certain products? So they had this big table. The next time I went there to look at it, um, it was very different. I'm pretty sure they just had a little price comparison. So it went from being this almost full page experience with lots of information 
to just this little, um, you know, you can buy it here at this price, here at this price, here at this price with the cheapest. So sort of super so, interesting how you can like see that, how it changed maybe when they realized the thing that people care about the most is just this price comparison element, or maybe that's what, yeah. you know, they're testing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I'm pretty sure it would have been two tests because I, mm -hmm. I came back quite a bit later. Okay. Um, so it's possible they, you know, it's possible the first one I saw the big table was their first mm -hmm. experiment there. True. People reacted well to it. So then they went, right, well, let's test you know, they, they might have been running multiple variants at that point, just focus mm -hmm. on picking out certain pieces of information. Uh, nice. Yeah, who knows? Um, but yeah, they do loads of experimentation. So uh, it's always kind of fun uh, clicking around their website, seeing how they do things. Um, they do a lot of Amazon style stuff as well. So okay. like some of their products will have very, very detailed, very nice product pages. Mm -hmm. And there are other ones which are a little bit more standard um, kind of just, you know, here are your images, here's your information, uh, get on with it. But they have that kind of, um, I can't remember what it's called. Is it a triple A content? Is that it on Amazon where you get, um, you get images so, right? and text and yeah. almost like infographics and things. Um, it's like a landing page, right? Exactly. Um, the other brand I want to mention is true classics. Um, mm -hmm. I'm actually wearing that. This is one of their t-shirts. Um, their advertising is really good, uh, really focuses on, on a key point about why you would buy their t-shirt over any others. And then their website mm -hmm. is just full of supporting content. There's so many videos you can watch. There's so much information, which, you know, at the end of the day, it's like a 15 to 20 pound t-shirt, depending on you know, what, what you buy. Mm -hmm. um, and it's plain, right? It's not branded at all. The true classics it's you know behind the neck uh, on the inside that's it there's no other branding on it um but they've managed to sell i think they're doing about 300 million a year selling these plain wow. products because they sell the benefits of the products not not like any other website which is just yeah here's a t-shirt here are your color options here's your size option mm -hmm. um so it's, it's definitely a website i'd recommend looking at um you know having a look over understanding yeah. like what content they've they've put on those pages and why um, and seeing what inspiration you can get from that. Thanks for those two really good examples. I think those are both great examples. Also nice that they're in two different product categories. You can kind of yeah. see like, although they're different products, like you can see kind of what works across the board, maybe what works within different like niches, like selling apparel versus selling like an appliance. You might have different concerns about like technical specs versus like, how is this shirt? Why this shirt versus a different one? Or how will this fit on my body? Or all these kind of things that you've mentioned. Yeah. Nice. Well, when it, when it turns to it, when it comes to improving conversion, I know like at your agency, you work with like a lot of different clients. Do you have any tools that you can recommend that you frequently use for um, running your tests or any other conversion uh, tactics that you work on? Uh, yeah. So. Not necessarily the individual tools. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's more kind of categories of tools. So um, obviously good Google Analytics, um, yep. pr pretty essential. Um, we use Typeform a lot for, mm -hmm. uh, for customer surveys. Mm -hmm. uh, most, most of the time we would use Zoom or, or Google Meet for our interviews. So it's nice and simple. 
um, it's always a behavioral tool. So Hotjar, something like Hotjar, Lucky Orange, uh, Microsoft Clarity. Um, some A-B testing tools now include this as well, um, which is good, but they are, they do tend to be focused on the test itself, I think. Mm -hmm. So uh, they're both worth having. Um, but uh, we use FigPy um, as a testing tool a bit. Um, but we also we also kind of use what whatever clients are using. So the team the team has True. the experience with multiple platforms. If someone is on a particular A/B testing platform, we're not going to come in and say no. Let's rip that out. Um, you know, get get rid of everything you've worked on with that, uh, and we'll start with something new because that's what we like to use. At the end of the day, most of the platforms are pretty similar in how they work, mm -hmm. um, and they should all be doing pretty much the same thing on the testing side anyway. Um, so yeah, we're not, don't really have preferences around that. Um, mm -hmm. we're, we're quite happy to be flexible. M most clients we work with have something in place um, already there. Um, it's the same, same with most of the tools, to be honest. Um, you know, most clients will have Hotjar, Lucky Orange, Mouseflow, or Clarity installed. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to think, I, I don't, it's, it's rare that we have to actually introduce um, someone to something for the CRO specific stuff. True. Um, it sounds like we... like the list you've mentioned, I've also heard from a couple other people in similar roles. Yeah. So nice to see that there's, I guess, some consistent players in the space. Yeah. Uh, so, and that, you know, we've got a, we've got a, mm -hmm. a big, um, we've got a notion list full of um, apps and things that we'll recommend to people. So if, if someone does want to change their review provider, we, you know, we've mm -hmm. got a preferred partner for that. Um, you know, if they want different like, bundling apps or, you know, whatever they want, we've, we've got something in the list um, to help people out with that. Nice. Uh, maybe I'll just have a couple more questions to wrap up this episode. Yeah. Uh, so one question I'm asking all my guests, what do you think most businesses get wrong when it comes to their customer journey? Um, so I think I did a post. Here's my post this morning on LinkedIn about it. Um, most perfect. focus way too much on acquisition. Um, I think it's something like for every hundred dollars spent on acquisition, about five is spent on retention and four on conversion. Mm. Right, so loads of people are trying to drive traffic to their websites, but no one is putting effort into keeping them there. Um, well, actually, you know, converting them and keeping them there. So, you know, I know on the retention side, email is getting bigger and bigger and, you know, a lot more people are doing a lot more with it. Um, mm -hmm. Still not, not enough. Um, but I think conversion really misses out. Uh, and I think there's maybe maybe some misconceptions around what CRO really is um, and who yeah. it's for. You know, I saw, um, didn't exactly get into an argument on LinkedIn, but you know, <laughs> exchanged a few comments with someone who said, um, CRO is only for brands doing 10 million or more a year, which oh. is, is just rubbish. You, no. you can be pre-launch yeah. and you can do CRO because it's part of CRO is speaking to customers, getting, you know, understanding what they want, getting that feedback and, and using that to create better creative, better copy mm -hmm. and all that stuff. If you're below five or six million a year, you might not be able to do too much AB testing. But you, there's True. still plenty of opportunity to um, to optimize the business, and and a lot of what CRO does is it feeds into marketing channels as well. 
exactly like CRO itself is not a marketing channel. It's, you know, a separate kind of, I always describe it as a growth discipline for the business, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You know, an AB test is a way of proving the hypothesis or disproving it. Um, and then that feedback should be applied to the rest of the business. So, you know, if, if we run a test on social proof and we find that, um, by using uh, videos instead of images, we can inc- improve conversion rate by X amount. We should be passing that information to, you know, the PP, uh, not PPC, uh, paid media team, email team, mm-hmm. um, potentially other teams as well saying, yeah, other teams as well saying, you know, this creative works really well at converting people. Maybe you guys should consider this as well. Like what, what can you learn from this? Mm. Um, so I think, you know, the, the people who say, you know, we're not big enough as CRO or, or brands underneath a certain amount shouldn't be doing it. Just don't really understand what it's about. Um, and just, I, I guess on top of that, uh, conversations popped up a few times is you don't need a full-time CRO person. Um, so obviously if you're, if you're doing a lot of testing, uh, mm-hmm. you either, you do either need a team in-house or you, or you need an agency, but for, for a lot of brands, um, you don't need a full-time CRO person. You just need a, someone who is full-time CRO. Okay. So a lot of brands will say, oh, our digital manager handles CRO or something like that. And really they've got no idea what they're doing. Um, you know, they've got no CRO experience. They just, they end up looking for some apps and things. So giving someone, giving a full-time person the added responsibility of CRO isn't really going to get you anywhere. You're Mm -hmm. better off getting a part-time dedicated CRO person who can just come in and do what they do really well, right? It's it's the reason brands hire, uh, you know, um, paid advertising freelancers or agencies, Mm -hmm. PPC freelancers, agencies, people to do email, all these separate things, because they realize that, you know, it's far more efficient and effective to get an expert in. And it's the same with CRO. And yet so few brands do. I think that's a really good point. And as you mentioned, like the learnings from the CRO expert, um, whether it's external person who helps or someone internally, like as you suggested, part-time can be applied across so many different disciplines within an organization. So if you're kind of like pigeonholing it to one person, tiny bit of their time, you might miss on that kind of uh, ability to weave these learnings throughout the company as efficiently or effectively. Well, you know, we all know that person's likely to have a target on it as well. Yeah. And true. once targets come into it, anything that they don't see as contributing to their target, they don't do. Mm-hmm. Right. I, Cause I, I know true. I've done it when I've been in house and overloaded, I, you know, don't bother communicating with other teams so much because I'm like, why am I wasting my time putting a report together for the other teams when I yeah. need to be focusing on my results? True. Um, and it means you don't iterate on it. You know, you end up with people who they'll run an AB test. It doesn't work. They just ditch it and move on to the next idea. But it's no iterations, no learning. You know, there should always be a reason why you've run an AB test. And so regardless of whether it's a, a success or not, you should be mm-hmm. saying, well, why did this happen? And what do we do next? Indeed. And someone who's got an hour a week 
of their time yeah. block, you know, available for CRO is just not going to do it, um, especially if they don't really know CRO. It's a good one. Well, I have uh, to finish this off a question from another guest for you, actually. Uh, so another guest of ours wanted to know, um, we've already touched on this a bit in our podcast today, but how can you research your customer in order to make the best landing page ever? Um, so yeah, I, I think it comes down to the customer research stuff we were talking about before. Mm -hmm. um, run some surveys, uh, speak to some customers, find out what they really care about, um, but then also tailor, tailor, tailor the landing pages to your ads as well. So, you know, a lot of products will have multiple selling points that they can really focus on. Um, I worked with a pillow, an ergonomic pillow brand uh, a couple of years ago. And, you know, part of it was neck pain. The, the big problem they were targeting was neck pain. But we realized we could target uh, ads specifically at elderly people with neck pain or sports people with neck pain or, you know, probably desk workers with neck pain. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're, you're still talking about neck pain, but you're making it super relevant to each audience individually. So that's just like another simple way is when, when someone clicks on an advert, just making sure that the content they see is the same or at least very similar to the advert that they actually click through on. True, because um, you might and, click on something and be like, oh, I thought this was for me, a soccer player who has neck pain, and now I don't see this at all on the site. Well, if, if you see a really old person yeah. looking really comfortable on it, you might be like, well, I'm not. I'm not 70 years old, so yeah. maybe that's <laughs> I don't want to buy this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's really important. And then I'd say keep testing. Um, there's You're never going to have a perfect landing page. It doesn't mm -hmm. exist. Um, there's always going to be ways to improve it, ways to ways to optimize it. It's always going to be changing anyway. Um, you know, ad creative is going to get, might get fatigued. Um, so you might have to change things up on that side anyway. Changes to the landing pages. Um, yeah, just even like cha changes in tastes, seasonality, you know, there's, there's so much that impacts it. So I wouldn't worry too much about creating the perfect landing page. Just, you know, make sure you're dealing with, you know, usability, right? You know, is, is the landing page easy to scroll and is mm -hmm. there a clear next step? Anxiety, do, does it answer some initial questions about this product uh, and concerns? Is there social proof? And then motivation, like, what is this, what is this product going to do for me? Um, do I actually want to spend time reading more details about this? Exactly. Well, uh, Will, maybe now we can return the favor. Do you have a question that you'd like our next guest to answer? Um, yes. Yeah, so one, one question I always ask on my podcast is, mm -hmm. um, if you could sit down with, with one person in the e-commerce marketing space, who would it be? I like that. That's a, that's a good one. Well, I'll be sure to let you know what our next guest says on that. Yeah. Will, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show today. Um, maybe you can remind our audience one last time where they can find you or your resources if they're curious and learning more. Uh, yeah, so either connect with me on LinkedIn. So it's just mm -hmm. Will Lawrenson. Um, I've got a blue background on my profile picture with a hand pointing at my name. Mm -hmm. um, or customerswhoclick.com. Um, there's loads of information about our methodology, you know, what we do, case studies, all that sort of stuff. Perfect. Well, thanks, Will. So great to have you. Uh, and tune in next time for another episode of Click to Buy.